Hi everyone, welcome to Hound Opinions. I'm your host, Bill Mayeroff. The animal rescue world is in a bit of a crisis right now. If you Google overcrowded shelters, you'll get recent news stories from all over the country about how shelters are packed to the gills with dogs and cats. In Chicago, overpopulation of shelters is at a catastrophic level, according to one report. In South Carolina, one news report mentions a shelter that's got two or three dogs per kennel. And another piece says the Oklahoma City Animal Shelter is 55% over capacity for dogs and 32% over capacity for cats. And that's according to the shelter's administrative specialist. You get the idea. It's bad. Shelters are already tough places for animals. They tend to be noisy. It's hard for them to get the attention and enrichment that they need. The animals are under a lot of stress. They're often in small enclosures for long stretches of the day. It's not easy. And when this sort of overcrowding happens, it becomes even worse. The problem is that the longer an animal stays in a shelter, the harder that animal becomes to adopt out because their mental health can take a real hit. Even animals that were the most friendly and social creatures before going into a shelter can become depressed and introverted and scared of the world in a relatively short time. That's why on this episode we're talking about fostering. Fostering animals is one of the best things you can do, especially in situations like we're currently in. Not only does fostering get one animal out of a shelter and into a home where it's going to be less stressed and more comfortable, which ultimately will help it get adopted faster, it also makes room in that shelter to save another animal. My guest on the pod is Ashley Gordon. Ashley has been fostering dogs with Chicago's one tail at a time for about a year and a half. The reason I wanted to talk to her is because she has decided, at least for now, that she's only going to foster rather than actually eventually adopt a dog. That sort of foster is far less common. Her place has been a soft landing spot for a rotating cast of canine characters, 12 of them in fact, that she'll tell you all about. We'll talk about why fostering is so important and why it's so rewarding. Okay, thanks for tuning in and let's get to it. Ashley, thank you for joining me on Hound Opinions. Um, I'm really excited uh, because fostering is one of my favorite things to talk about. Um, So just to kind of dive right in, um, how did you get into fostering? Well, Bill, first of all, thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to talk about this topic. Um, I've been fostering for almost a year and a half at this point, and uh, it's been a really great experience. So back in 2020, when when everybody was in lockdown, um, I started thinking about moving to Chicago. And while I had been living in Madison, Wisconsin, I had been volunteering with an organization, but I wasn't able to foster because um, um, I was living in an apartment that didn't allow any pets. So I knew that I wanted to get involved in fostering. And a friend of mine was already fostering with one tail at a time here in Chicago. So when I moved to Chicago, I made sure that I had a pet friendly apartment and then I followed in my friend's footsteps and did foster training and got my very first foster dog with one tail at a time back in February of 2021. Okay. Um, so talk a little bit about, um, about that first experience. I know I, I had, the, had the pleasure of meeting Paul Hollywood um, once and, and it was great. But talk to me about sort of how the, how the first foster experience went. So it was quite a wild ride. Um, So my very first foster dog was named Paul Hollywood. For all those listening, um, Bill is not talking about meeting the actual Paul Hollywood, but (laughs) Bill, maybe you have. (laughs) I have not. (laughs) Um, So I got this little dog 
and he was very cute and he needed a female only home because he was not okay with his previous foster's boyfriend. So I thought, okay, you know, I can give this dog a little soft place to land. I had looked at a few other dogs that needed foster and there was one I was really interested in, but I was told that it wouldn't be a good fit and that Paul Hollywood would be a great fit. So I just sort of dived in with both feet and decided like, let's just go for it. And I um, really didn't know what I was getting myself into, <laughs> uh, but it, it ended up being a wonderful experience. Uh, so Paul was two years old at the time and just, gosh, he just is, he was so loyal and so mm -hmm. sweet and just wanted to cuddle and he was such a good boy. And I ended up fostering him for five months, which isn't really um, like a standard first time experience. A lot of dogs, they just get fostered for, you know, two or three weeks and then they move on to the adoption center at one tail at a time and then they get adopted. But because Paul had some quirks like being afraid of men and not liking strangers in the house and um, being best as an only dog in the home, he was a little harder to place. And also he just needed more support in becoming comfortable with the world around him. Um, and he needed more time to find those right people to be his people. So it ended up being an amazing experience because having that dog for five months, we really established a routine together. And I had a lot of time to help him with stranger danger and have people come over and throw treats at him and have him learn that like people are just magical treat machines. Hmm. Um, but uh, yeah, it, it really just made me want to keep fostering and keep helping. Okay. Um, had you, I mean, Growing up, did you have dogs? Did you have any experience with, you know, reactive dogs like like Paul or, you know, anything anything like that? Growing up, I had, I guess, like three dogs over time. We started with an English setter that we got when I was eight or nine, had him for, you know, just over 11 years. We had another dog that we got, um, Rocky, and then and he was a, an Australian cattle dog and total sweetie pie. Then we ended up adopting a second dog to be his brother. So then I had like multi-dog experience, but I never thought like, oh, this is going to be great for when I foster in the future. I was just like, I like dogs and I want to spend time with dogs. Um, I had not had reactivity experience really. Our, our dog Rocky was a little reactive towards certain people, but uh, nothing that we were ever like terribly concerned about. In general, he just loved everybody. So Paul was my very first reactive dog, and it was a really interesting learning experience. And it definitely starts to break stigmas, right, about, you know, this dog is reactive, therefore bad. Like, no, not at all. Not at all. Okay. Um, and so like what, I mean, were you, were you nervous about it? Kind of diving in with, with a dog like Paul? So nervous. Okay. <laughs> I was so nervous. I didn't know what I was getting myself into. I had friends come over and he dove for their ankles and grabbed their pant legs. And, oh, it was like a <laughs> very, um, very, you know, I'd never, I'd never had that kind of experience at all, but uh, the foster community is immensely supportive. And especially at one tail at a time, there's like a whole behavioral program that 
gives you support with what they call B teamers. So you um, can say, hey, this dog is having this issue and I really want to help them with it. And like, I need to manage this because I need to be able to have people come over to my home if necessary. And, um, and so I got paired up with a B teamer and we started working on, on Paul's issues. But yeah, it was, you know, it was like, I can't even say organized chaos. It was just a little <laughs> bit of chaos, but uh, good chaos. Okay. So you had, you had Paul for five months and, you know, it was this sort of, this sort of wild ride and, and this whole new, whole new kind of experience. Was there ever a point when you weren't sure you could, you could handle it? Yes. The, at the beginning, there were times where I was like, oh my gosh, it's been four weeks and I still have this dog. Is this dog ever going to like leave my house? Am I going to be stuck with this dog for the next 10 years? And one of the things that helped with that was reaching out and connecting with other people who were what we call long-term fosters, people who have these dogs that have somewhat more specific needs and who will probably be fostered for a longer time than normal until the right people come along for adopting. And so reaching out and talking to people who also love their fosters but want them out of their house <laughs> um, was really great. Okay. Um... And like how much, you know, when, when it came time for Paul to, to go off to his, his forever home, um, how much kind of communication did you have with, with the new people and, you know, what, what were you able to tell them to sort of help make their experience as smooth as possible? That's a really good question because it was a very interesting situation. I had some time coming up where I was going to be out of town. And so Paul had made a lot of progress to the point where he went to the One Tail at a Time Adoption Center, which, quite frankly, we never thought was going to even be a reality. So the fact that he was able to go um, was just a reflection of how much work he and I had put in on helping him become more comfortable with the world around him. And he went to a foster to adopt, which means somebody was interested in adopting him but wanted to make sure it was a good fit. And for dogs like Paul, who are quirky, there's uh, often an option to do this foster to adopt so you can make sure that it's a good fit for everyone, both the family and the dog. So the first foster to adopt over the weekend, um, they really loved him, but it, it wasn't going to work out for them. So he came back to the adoption center. And then he went to another foster to adopt and he was actually there for a month. But ultimately, uh, the decision came back that um, because he had, you know, he was a pretty barky little guy and this person lived in an apartment building, it wasn't going to be a good fit. So he went back to the adoption center and then another family uh, came in and asked for him by name and they mm -hmm. adopted him. And that was like the end of the story. He got adopted and I had sent a lot of papers. Well, not a lot of papers, but like I had typed up an entire sheet with all of Paul's information. What are his likes? What are his dislikes? Hmm. Um, you know, what what does he what tricks does he know? What foods does he like? What are his favorite treats? What are his favorite toys? And so hopefully that document made it to um, to his new adopters. But what ended up happening was um, the family that adopted him posted in the one tail at a time adopters group on Facebook and said, Oh, this is our dog. You know, we just adopted him. His name is this, but his name was previously Paul Hollywood and he's struggling with separation anxiety. Uh, does anyone have any recommendations? 
and I've never adopted a dog, so I'm not in this Facebook group, but a friend of mine is, and she connected me to Paul's adopters, and we had a brief conversation um, over an afternoon back and forth via message, and I was able to share some tricks that I had used and provide a little support to say, you know, with dogs who have separation anxiety, it's just, it's going to take a little bit longer for them to settle into their crate and be comfortable with the routine of you coming and going. Um, so I was able to provide that bit of support and share some special details about Paul, things that he liked and, and things that we like doing together. His new adopter sent me some pictures of him and he looked so happy and he was running through a field with his new adoptive dad, which was just oh. amazing because this dog didn't like men in February and got adopted right. by a man and a woman in August. So it was a really incredible uh, sort of happy ending for him. Sure. So talk about, I mean, you know, like I said, I came over and, and I met him once and, and you know, he and I, he and I got on pretty great when, when I did. Um, but talk, like how bad was his, uh, reactivity to men? You know what you say, he didn't like him. Like what, what did that mean? What did that look like? Yeah. So he was afraid of men when we were on walks. He, um, uh, didn't really want to get too close to them. And in the house, he would dive for people's ankles. So okay. that was the experience that his previous foster had had. Um, her mm. boyfriend had come over and Paul seemed to be fine. And then just sort of out of nowhere decided that he didn't like this guy and he dove for his ankles. And he didn't chomp on an ankle, but he would grab a pant leg or he would grab, you know, the back of your shoe. And um, he was a small dog. He was only, gosh, I think like 30 pounds. and. Mm -hmm small dogs protect themselves with their mouth. <laughs> All yep. dogs do, but small dogs in particular, tiny dogs, big world. So he um, would, when I had people come over, seem okay for a very short while. And then any movement that anybody made, he would jump. Or uh, if you got up and started walking, he would die for your ankles. So what we did to handle this fear of men and fear of strangers in the home was we started practicing what's called stranger danger. So when we would be walking down the street, if we would pass a man who I knew, like a neighbor, or we would pass a man who just seemed, you know, kind of like would smile and say hello, I would say, excuse me, will you give this treat to my dog? And if they said no, it was fine, but they almost always said yes. <laughs> and what we were doing was teaching Paul that when he sees a man, there's probably going to be a treat. And that's a good positive thing. It makes him feel good because he loves treats. And so he started associating men with treats. And sometimes I would say, excuse me, will you pet my dog? And they would come over and pet him and I give them a treat to give to Paul. And he would start to learn that when we're passing men, we don't have to be scared we can see them as friends. So inside the house, we did something a little bit similar. So we practiced with anybody who wanted to come over. It didn't matter if you were a man or a woman, whatever it was. And um, first we would go outside, greet the guest. They would just drop tons and tons of treats and Paul would go find all the treats and he'd be so happy. And then we would come inside and Paul would lead everybody upstairs. We would come into the living room and then it would just be a treat fest for about 30 minutes. 
lots of treats and also lots of playing because Paul loved roughhousing. He right. just adored roughhousing. And so kind of by accident, we discovered that if you roughhouse with Paul, then he thinks that you are his best friend. <laughs> and so that's what we started doing. A friend brought her brother over and they roughhoused for 30 minutes. And then Paul was just laying next to him and Aww. didn't care that he stood up and walked across the room. So we started to realize that as long as it's the Paul Hollywood show for about 30 minutes at the start, then Paul really relaxes and realizes these are friends. So our big, um, huge, amazing moment was I had four friends who all live in the neighborhood and know Paul. I had them all come over. And we did a barbecue at my house and we spent the first 30 minutes of Paul just running all over the living room from one person to the next taking hmm. treats. And he was so happy. And one of my guy friends even started working on training Paul to roll over, Aww. which Paul didn't like being on his back. <laughs> so that was like doomed to fail from the start. But Paul was really into getting treats and and into like, you know, the attempt. So um, but all of this happened over months months of work and um yeah i was very very proud of him because he put in the time and he learned that everybody is just here to be paul hollywood's best friend sorry i was i was indeed muted um sorry so you are now fostering lou and um Lou seems to be, you know, I've had the chance to meet him too. Um, he is kind of the polar opposite of, of Paul Hollywood. Um, so how long, have you, how long have you had Lou now? I've had Lou about a month and a half. Okay. Um, and, you know, what, you know, what, what was Lou's deal kind of come when he, when he came to you? You know, what's his, what's his story? Lou was uh, previously a one tail at a time dog, and he was adopted a couple of years ago by a family. And there was uh, a really unfortunate and avoidable bite incident where a stranger um, didn't ask if they could approach Lou. And so they uh, invaded Lou's personal space. Um, Lou protected himself and his people. And uh, sadly, the family was forced to give Lou up as a result of that incident. Right. So he came back to one tail at a time because once you're an OTAT dog, you are forever an OTAT dog. And he was at the behavior center, which is where um, some of the more complicated dogs go just to see like, what do they need? What kind of behavioral support do they need? And I got an email from the foster coordinator from the behavior center saying, hey, I've got this dog and we're not really sure what he needs or if he needs anything uh he's like incredibly sweet um we think that he just sort of had this unfortunate incident that resulted in um you know him being back here and we think that he would really just thrive in a foster home are you interested in this dog and i said yeah sure and in my way he um sounds like a good boy and also just can you confirm like will he sleep during the day because I work from home? <laughs> right. Um, and one of the best things about fostering is that you are totally within your right to ask those questions. You want to foster and, and help dogs, but you also want it to be a good fit for the foster. And I've had dogs that were not a good fit and needed to move on to a different yeah. foster who could better support them. And I've had dogs that, you know, fit in 
perfectly fine. And Lou, quite frankly, is one of those dogs. He hmm. is sleeping in the sun as we speak. <laughs> he hmm. is so chill. Um, Lou is interesting because, um, so he, he is a pit bull and he walks with a muzzle, which generally is something that kind of freaks people out. They see a muzzled pit bull and they think, oh, I should like stay away from this dog. Um, Lou actually loves people. The reason yeah. he wears the muzzle is due to that fight incident. He also had one altercation with a dog. Um, and I don't have the details on that, but because of those two things, he wears this muzzle to make him, you know, to make sure that he's safe and to make sure that everyone around him is safe too. Because sometimes dogs just react without, yep. you know, reflecting because they're dogs and not humans. Right. <laughs> and even humans can act without reflecting. But he loves people so much. And so hmm. I know all of my neighbors up and down the street and they know me and they know that I foster and they're always interested to meet my foster dogs. And um, so I give Lou every opportunity to say whoever hello to whoever he wants hmm. to say hello to, because I don't want him to think like, oh, it's not OK to go up to people. Should I be worried? Right. I want him to know, like, you can go up and say hi. And if people ask if they can say hi, the answer is absolutely yes. Um, Lou also loves little dogs. Any dog oh. that's smaller than him, he wants to stick his face in their butt. <laughs> and uh, I always ask, of course, because you should never approach another dog without asking or allow your dog to approach another dog without asking. But uh, I, I know all the dogs on my street as well, and there are a number of smaller ones, and they're all really sweet. And, you know, uh, I let Lou sniff a butt and keep an eye on him in, in case he seems like he might be getting overwhelmed but really he just loves little dogs so much and then in terms of big dogs he can get overwhelmed when he's nose to nose with a big dog so i have um some friends on the street who have big dogs and we are practicing tandem walks and so what that cool. means is um lou and another dog will both be on a walk together in basically the same space but they're both focusing on walking and sniffing the grass and going to yep. the bathroom. And I just keep an eye on Lou, make sure he doesn't end up in another dog's face. And um, it's a really great opportunity for him to have a positive experience of being on a walk. And he loves walking without feeling overwhelmed by this other dog that's also there. So he's associating this dog is nearby, but I'm also having a great time. So maybe this is good. And uh, that's what we're working on right now. That's awesome. Um, I'm going to shift gears a little bit because you said you've had you've had a couple of fosters that weren't the right fit for you. Um, talk about talk about the first time uh, that happened and sort of how you came to realize that it just wasn't going to be going to be right. Oh yes, uh, it was. I believe it was my second foster, Patty, hmm. uh, but we affectionately referred to her as party patty because she just didn't quit okay. patty had so much energy i mean like oh i don't i don't even know man like this dog could have probably run a marathon if she wanted hmm. to she just never quit and she was this beautiful beautiful purebred coon hound and i have a soft spot for hounds so i saw her um as an available foster and i jumped at it uh, i think i was her her fourth foster 
she oh, wow. was yeah she just had too much energy they thought maybe she needed another dog in the house then she was so energetic that she like pissed the other dog off and then they needed to put her in a house <laughs> with no dog and then they tried the dog house again and then she came to me and um what I ended up doing was taking her, gosh, we drove like 20 minutes every morning to a different person's house um, hmm. for a play date and it, just all over the city. I drove all over the city <laughs> for the dog out play dates. And we did this for three weeks before I finally was like, I can't, I can't do this anymore. Like this isn't a good fit. She's barking constantly. She needs right. a lot of stimulation, a lot of mental stimulation. And, uh, and I just can't give it to her. And, um, she actually ended up going to the adoption center. She was cleared for adoption at that point. She ended up getting adopted by a lovely family that uh, had had coon hounds, oh, two okay. coon hounds prior to Patty. And so, and they live in the suburbs and she has plenty of space to run around and she goes to the dog park and she gets like four mile walks every day. Okay. But it was a really bad fit. Yeah. This was not the foster for me. And um, it was really difficult in the moment, but it was such a great learning experience because I learned it is okay to speak up and say, you know what, I put in my two weeks to let the dog settle in and it's really not working and um, I, I really need some support. I really think that we need to find a different situation for this dog. And it's also helped me learn to you know, share that experience with others. So when I see people posting in our foster group saying, you know, oh my gosh, I'm going through this crazy experience. This dog has so much energy, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I'm able to support them because I've been yeah. there and I've done that. And it also taught me how to um, determine what types of dogs I can take on. Because in addition to being a hound, she was also a puppy. And so okay. I learned she was a year and a half, but that's still basically puppy at this point. So I learned like, you know, puppies really aren't great for me. I need <laughs> an older dog that just wants to sleep. So two years and sure. older, those extra six months really make a difference. Yeah. Um, was it, I mean, you said it was, it was sort of difficult in the moment when you were starting to kind of realize that it wasn't going to be a good fit for you. How did you sort of get yourself over that hump of the, you know, I really want to help this dog and I really want to do, do everything I can, but I'm not sure I'm able to do that. What did, how did you wind up getting yourself over that? Cause I think, I think we all have at least a little bit of ego about it. You know, we want to help all the dogs. We want to, you know, do everything, do everything possible. And we don't want to feel like we've, we've failed in any way. So how do you, how do you get yourself over that, over that hump? Yeah. So by the time I got Patty, I was lucky enough to have this very solid group of friends who were all fosters. And I was able to reach out to them and say, hey, I'm struggling here. Can I get some advice? But what I've learned from that is that fostering is a community effort. You know, they say it takes a village to raise a child. And it's a little bit like that. It takes okay. a village to foster a dog. And you are never uh, required to continue to foster a dog if it's a bad right. fit. And you've got tons of options. I can't speak for all the rescue organizations here in Chicago or right. across the country, but with One Tail at a Time, there's a lot of opportunity to do things like have your dog taken on a field trip. So someone will come and take the dog for a few hours and they'll go to the park and they'll go get like a pup cup at Starbucks and, and do things like that and just give you a little bit of 
peace and quiet at the house. Um, sure. That was one of the things that I did with Patty. But honestly, I was just so glad to have that dog out of my <laughs> house that I didn't feel bad about it. Okay, that's fair. That's fair. Um, so again, shifting shifting gears a little bit. Um, so you don't you don't have a resident dog of your own right now, um, and so you're you know taking in different fosters. You've got Lou now, and you'll have you'll have others in in the future. Um, one of the things you hear a lot um, from people who who are considering fostering is you know I'm worried it's going to be it's going to be really hard when they have to go off to their their forever home, and I'm going to have to have to let them go. Um, you managed to kind of get yourself out of that mindset. And so how do you, you know, how, how did you, how did you do that? How did you get past that and, and sort of see the good of fostering for, for what it is? Yeah. So when I first started fostering Paul, I knew there was no way I was going to foster fail because Paul didn't fit my long-term lifestyle. He didn't right. like guests in the home. He didn't like men, all of these things, right? He had separation anxiety. So I knew that I was okay with letting go of this dog. And it was such a interesting thing at the end with him, like going to the adoption center, not knowing like when he was officially going to be adopted right. because of the, te the tests and everything, the um, foster to adopt um, times. So like, it was interesting because, um, that was sort of a very gradual goodbye mm -hmm. with other dogs. Um, you sort of know like, Oh, it's time to drop you off at the adoption center and you're definitely getting adopted. Um, but I always found a reason why I didn't want to adopt whichever dog I had. Okay. Obviously with Patty, there was no way I was going to adopt right. her. <laughs> she never stopped barking. Uh, I had a dog named Henry and he was just this lovable goof just couldn't even control his big floppy legs because he <laughs> was such a awkward teenager. And uh, I, I thought maybe I would adopt him, but he was very mouthy. He liked sure. to munch on things, including your arms. And I always found a reason that I didn't want to keep the dog until Hank came along. Okay. And Hank was a purebred English setter. And I had a purebred English setter as my very first dog growing up. Aww. And I, the day I picked up Hank, I thought, uh-oh, I might <laughs> foster fail. And it was a very stressful couple of weeks because I loved Hank. He was practically perfect in every way. And I could totally see having him in my life. But I really stopped and thought about, you know, what do I want in my life right now? What types of responsibilities do I want? And I didn't want to have to worry about having care for this dog okay. when I'm out of town. And I knew that I was going to have a fair amount of outages coming up actually in, in the weeks that were like coming up after the time that I was fostering Hank. And I just, you know, my parents live back in Detroit. My brother and sister-in-law and their kids are in Indiana. My sister is back in Michigan too. I have friends. All of my close friends live in different states. Right. So I knew that I'm uh, not right now in a position where I want to be tied down. And it really took a lot of time, a lot of soul searching, talking to people um, that I trusted to determine what am I going to do about this dog? And ultimately, I decided not to keep him. 
Okay. And it was really, really difficult, but I know for a fact it was the right decision. And yeah. it was that moment where I made the decision that Hank would not be my dog, that I realized that I was going to hang on to that feeling as I continued fostering. You can okay. love a dog to the moon and back and still know that you want to let them go so that you can continue fostering. I knew that if I adopted Hank, it was going to be really, really difficult for me to foster because right. I, I only have two hands. And sure. so <laughs> I can't like keep foster failing every dog that I foster. And um, it can be difficult when you have a resident dog, you have to do introductions between your resident sure. dog and the foster dog and you have to separate them. And it just becomes a lot more complicated. And I, you know, live by myself right now. And and I was just very aware of the difficulties that would come with adopting. So there were a lot of pretty objective logistics that sure. played into that. In addition to my emotions, um, I think what I really want people to know, though, is that it is okay to be sad when your foster hmm. gets adopted. Yeah, I was sad when Party Patty got adopted, <laughs> and I wanted that dog out of my house so badly. <laughs> um, but some of the people that adopt will keep in touch with you, actually. Party Patty's adoptive mom keeps in touch with me. And it's Aww. so funny, this dog who just made my life so terrible for three weeks. Um, she is the dog I get all the updates about. And I actually get a lot of updates about Hank too, which makes me really happy because um, I, I just loved that dog so much. But if I had adopted Hank, I wouldn't be able to help Lou and right. Lou needed a soft place to land. So I know that right now I'm gonna just stick to my guns and know that this is what I want to do. I want to foster. I don't want to adopt. And I have absolutely left room for um, that to change in the future. Sure. But right now I know that I'm happy with the way things are. Okay. Um, going back to something you said earlier, you know, it, it how it kind of takes a village to, to foster a dog. Um, I mean, it sounds like you get you get a lot of help when you're when you're fostering and i mean is this something would you be able to do it without that kind of without that kind of support system um yes the okay. support system makes it even better yeah but there are plenty of rescues and plenty of fosters out there who um are you know doing so much with even fewer resources. So sure. you don't have to foster with a big, big rescue. I actually know um, the woman who we, so funny enough, uh, we adopted, my parents adopted a second beagle in 2020. And the woman that was fostering that beagle lives down the street from me now. Oh, wow. <laughs> uh, so very small world. Um, so she fought this woman fosters through the uh, Midwest Beagle um, Rescue Education and Welfare yep. Organization, Midwest Brew. Yep. And it's a very small organization and it's um, obviously breed specific. But uh, and I've, I've never fostered with them, but it is a smaller organization. And I do know that um, they don't have quite the amount of resources yeah. that One Tail has. But um, 
people will always be there for you. If you reach yeah. out and say, I have a question, if you reach out and sure. say, I need some assistance, I need some feedback, I need some advice. There's always someone to talk to. Um, it's funny. It's funny. You mentioned Midwest, Midwest brew because, and you have this neighbor who fostered, who fostered through them. Um, if she's fostered through them, odds are she's met a longtime friend of mine um, oh. who who also fosters. He's got one beagle of his own and generally has one or two fosters at a time through Midwest Brew. And he also does a lot of transports mm, uh, yeah. for them for them as well. So I imagine I imagine their paths have their paths have crossed it's um, very at some point. It's it is. It's a it's a small it's a small world. Um, so as far as like, you know why fostering is so important you know you you you've done it now for for a year and change what have you sort of learned about you know why it's so important for dogs waiting to be adopted to have you know sort of that soft place to land yeah so there is an outrageous number of dogs that get euthanized in the United States i want to say the figure is over 600,000 per year and they're often larger dogs because people want small dogs. Right. Um, that in and of itself is a reason to foster because these dogs get euthanized for a variety of reasons. But one of the saddest reasons is just a lack of space in city shelters. I know yeah. right now Chicago Animal Care and Control is overflowing. Right. And July 4th is the holiday when the most dogs are lost every year. Yep. And that's because they get scared of all of the explosions and all of the fireworks and people don't always think to secure their dogs the way that they, you know, um, might do if they realized how scared these dogs can get. So a lot of dogs get lost. They end up at the shelter. So now we've got pets that have gotten lost and we've got actual strays and it's just, it's, it's an overwhelming problem. Yeah. And so, I mean, for anybody who's ever thinking like, oh, I would foster, but oh, I could just never let go of that dog. I actually had that exact same hmm. thought when I was younger. I used to think like, oh my gosh, if I fostered, I would just keep every single dog. Sure. Um, but my experiences have taught me that that is not true because some dogs <laughs> you really don't want to keep right. in your house for the long term. And also, I mean, a little bit of heartache to make sure that that dog can get out alive. That's really ultimately yeah. the question here. Is that dog gonna get out of the shelter alive? And I wanna say that One Tail at a Time has a behavioral euthanasia rate of like less than 1% or less than 0.5%. And what sure. that means is that every dog that comes to One Tail um, has just such a great chance of getting to foster and finding uh, an adoptive family and one tail is a no kill organization. So they right. only euthanize when it is truly the only option due to medical issues or behavioral issues that truly are just a, a problem for quality of life for the dog. And um, not every organization is like that. Fostering helps free up a space so that another dog can be rescued into the shelter. So whenever you foster a dog and you bring them out of the shelter, you're saving two dogs. You're saving sure. the dog that you brought into your house and you're saving whatever other dog is now going to have an opportunity to go into that kennel and hopefully wait for their opportunity for adoption or fostering. And right. that will always, 
always matter more and and mean more than the brief amount of heartache that you'll feel letting go of that dog okay um last thing i want to ask um from your fostering experience what have you learned about yourself That's such a good question. What have I learned about myself? Well, that I don't like when a dog barks at my face for eight <laughs> hours nonstop. Definitely that's learned fa- that's that. That's fair. Yeah. Um, I would say I learned that I am a lot stronger than I thought physically because I have literally <laughs> picked dogs up, but also emotionally, um, you know, uh, and mentally being able to teach a dog to not be afraid of people or, or help them overcome a fear more so. Yeah. Um, I have taught dogs to do tricks, which I never thought yep. I'd be able to do. <laughs> um, and I've met so many wonderful people and just learned um, how open my heart can be to so many different kinds of dogs. I definitely had, you know, the, we'll call it the um, muzzle stigma Mm-hmm. in mind for a long time. And um, I've just learned that, you know, I can do this, that I'm stronger than I thought I was, that I can help a dog, that I can let that dog go when it's time for that dog to get adopted. Um, and I would say the best thing is that these lessons aren't just lessons that I keep to myself. I can share them with other people. Um, and and that's, it's great. It's great to be able to do that. Cool. Well, that is, I think, as good a place as any to leave it. Um, so I want to just, you know, thank you again for, for doing this. Um, I think, you know, people don't totally understand the importance of fostering and, and what a difference it really can, it really can make. And I think, I think this gives a lot of, a lot of really cool insight in it. So, um, Ashley, thank you for, for being on Hound Opinions. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure talking with you, Bill. Thanks. Thanks so much for checking out Hound Opinions. I'm Bill Mayeroff, and I'm the owner and chief canine officer of Big Wags Chicago Dog Training and Dog Walking. If you like what you hear, I'd be really grateful if you could give Hound Opinions a good rating on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can find Big Wags Chicago online at bigwagschicago.com. And I'm at Big Wags Chicago, all one word, on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok. If you have a dog question you'd like me to answer on a future episode, or if you just want to say hi, email podcast at bigwagschicago.com. Thanks.